So this morning, <clears throat> clearly, as you can see this incredible train here, and all of this uh, preparations for VBS, you know, I've been completely consumed in thinking about trains. <laughs> this past week, I've just been thinking about trains and, and different elements about trains and all that kind of stuff. I kind of feel like Sheldon on, uh, on uh, the Big Bang Theory who loves trains, just trying to learn a little bit more about that. That's a reference for those of you guys who like that show. Um, but here's the deal. Particularly, I've been thinking about train tracks. And as you look up on that screen, you see those train tracks and it just goes off into the distance. There is something very limiting about train tracks, aren't there? It, it's limiting. It's, it sets a parameter. And for some of you guys who are a glass half full optimist type of person, then you know what? It's extremely clarifying in a way. It, it gives you something particular and definite. See, train tracks, they restrict the train's movements to a particular place and to a particular path, and to a particular destination. It's limiting in that sense. You know, as, as you are on a train, you can't, the, the train car can't say, I'm going to, you know what, jump the tracks, and now I'm going to travel down asphalted roads or pursue some off-road adventures. It's limited to the tracks. You see, as, as you jump onto a train and you're going down the tracks, the train car can't say, you know what, you know what, I, I think I'm going to recalculate right here because there might be a better route or a faster route. And so Waze, Siri, hook me up. No, you're, you're limited to where the tracks have been laid. That's where you're going. Not only that, if you hop on a train, you're most definitely going to be aware of the fact that a train cannot take you everywhere. It can't. A train is limited by where the tracks end. And so you're going to go anywhere along the route, but that is it. A train track limits the train. And this concept of limited mobility got me thinking about the concept of freedom. And contemplating this concept about freedom, does, does freedom and the word limitations, do those things go together? Are these two words congruous? You know, or, or are they incompatible? Do they not compute well together? Do these words belong in the same sentence? Just test it out for a second. Say freedom. Now say limits. Does that sound right? Does that feel right? Well, not according to John Bon Jovi, right? Bon Jovi, everybody heard about Bon Jovi? Ever heard the song, It's My Life? The chorus goes like this. It's my life. It's now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. And then he goes on and says, my life is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. And he goes on, an open highway, and I did it my way. Those sentences, those refrains, they do not scream limits to me. They don't. They, they, they talk about something else. And, and sadly, my heart resonates really well with those words. If I'm honest with you guys today, all right? Can I be an honest preacher? Uh, my heart resonates very well with those words, more than I'm comfortable to admit. I sometimes find myself yearning to push past the boundary or to live outside of God's standard or desire. 
I don't know about you guys, and maybe I'm alone here. I'm in a room surrounded by incredible saints of God, so I might be alone in this. Anybody here ever feel like you want to push past a boundary of what you have been told is good for you? All right, I got two honest, three honest people in this room. Hallelujah, a few more. The repentance is coming, and, and we're, getting, we're getting, all right, hey, relax. Things are okay, all right? But sometimes I feel myself wanting to push past the boundary. I want to jump the tracks. I want to go off-roading. Oh, no, I don't want to go down this road and that destination. I want to go over here. My flesh is saying, this is good. This is right. This is what is for me right now. It's my life. Give me the open highway. Let me live it my way. And by the way, that's a reference to Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. You ever heard that song? So... I want us to contemplate this. Maybe, you know, it's important for us from time to pause and stop and take inventory. Imagine taking liberties and license to do anything you wanted to do. How would the world look like if that's how we lived? Indulge me for a second here, just for a second. You got somebody next to you, you know, whether you do or you don't. Indulge me for a second. Start waving your arms around. Let's, let me see you wave your arms. Come on, loosen up a little bit. Wave your arms around, okay? So, so check this out. Liberty is equivalent to you swinging your arms anywhere and everywhere you want, as much as you want. Hallelujah, you got the liberty to do that. But your liberty ends where your neighbor's nose begins. When you start waving your arms everywhere and now you encroach on your neighbor's nose and you happen to hit your neighbor's nose, you have now abused your liberty and taken the license to hit your neighbor. Now think about that, a world where there is freedom to do anything and everything you want to do. How would that go? I am, I have the liberty to just take your car keys today, Janet, and I just, I just want to take your car keys. I got the liberty to do that. Well, I have the liberty to take things, but if it's not mine, I've encroached, I've taken license to do something that is not good and intentional. And so imagine what the world would be like. It would be chaotic. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at, you know, the license is when we abuse freedom, when we take it beyond the point where it's supposed to, when we abuse liberty and go beyond where it's supposed to. And I wonder, as a Christian, you know, what does the Bible tell us about this, you know, merging, this, this battle, this, this reconciliation between liberty and freedom, freedom and limits, and all of these different things coming together. So this morning, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to explore responsible personal liberty today, responsible personal liberty. And I want us to look here at a couple of things that Paul says, and and we're going to talk about it from the context of a train, all right? So if you're there, Galatians chapter 5, say amen. All right, I'll give you some more time. Galatians 5, God eats potato chips. That's, uh, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So uh, just kind of carry on that, that mnemonic device there and you'll find it it's in the new testament galatians chapter 5 verse 13 we'll start there for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another but i say Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, I thank you for your word, and I just pray, Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would guard the treasury of our hearts, Lord God, and help us to mine that which you have for us and apply that which you desire over us, God, in your precious name this morning. Amen. Amen. For those of you who are not familiar with the letter of, uh, to the Galatian churches, up to this point in chapter 5, Paul had clearly explained that faith alone is what brings us salvation. Faith alone is what affords us the opportunity to be saved and reconciled to God. It is faith alone that justifies us as if we had never sinned before. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The redemption that Jesus secured on, that, on his death on the cross and his resurrection. Believers have been liberated, set free from the old ways, from the law, from, from the old covenant of how things needed to be done and how they would, you know, just deal with sin and the issue that, that separated God and man. They, they have been set free from that and have been accepted as righteous, accepted as, as, as free, as, as clean before God, quite apart from the law. So all that's happened in Galatians up through chapter 5. And it's not hard to see how, you know, such a, an idea, a, a, a teaching, a doctrine could be easily misunderstood and exploited. There were people, in fact, two distinct groups uh, that were coming through the church in that time and, and speaking after Paul and coming in where he had ministered and shared the gospel. And, and they were uh, bringing temptations into the church. And the two temptations that was facing the churches in Galatia uh, are, are specifically this. Most of Paul's um, converts, those who had come to faith and to trust in Jesus Christ and, and to, to following after Jesus' ways and his teaching, most of them in Galatia were Gentiles. The, these were men and women who were not of the Jewish heritage. They did not follow the Jewish traditions. They were not by culture, by birth, Jewish in nature. They, these guys were foreigners. They were a Apart from Judaism. And so with these guys, many of them had come out of religions and ideologies that were foreign to the Jewish ways, that these guys actually were devotees and, and, and adherents to idolatrous religions and practices. These guys were actually part of different cults and mystery religions and all of that. And so when they came to Christ, it brought them an exhilarating 
an incredible, like, like life-giving, breath of fresh air um, feeling that they were free from the slavery of all of that idolatry and all of those practices and all of those rituals that they used to perform. And so it was incredibly life-giving, but it also had produced a moral insecurity, though, on the other side of the coin. For those who used to practice the old ways, the Jewish ways, those who were of the Jewish heritage, they who had all the law of Moses and all of its commandments and all of its rules that go beyond the Ten Commandments, by the way, if we read the Old Testament, we'll realize that's over 600 different particular rules that you had to adhere to and follow, and it was a lot. And so the folks on that side of the coin, it produced a moral insecurity within them and these guys who used to be known as the Judaizers, they're trying to promote Judaism and the Jewish practices. These guys are coming in and saying, you know what? Yes, Jesus is good. The way of the cross is awesome. But you got to also do all of this. You got to do all of this activity. Are you following me? Does this make sense? So one group is saying, man, this is awesome. We're not under the law anymore. We're not under the bondage of all the rituals and different things. So we can do anything. This is awesome. And the other group says, you know what? No, no, it's Jesus. It's good. But you got to keep adding all these different things. If you don't do circumcision, if you don't do this practice, if you don't follow this Sabbath, if you don't follow this and that and all these different rules, then you are in violation and Jesus is not sufficient. And so there's two different problems that Paul is dealing with, with the churches here in Galatia. And it's, by the way, to the churches of Galatia. It is a group of churches that Paul is writing to because there was a group of people there and they were birthing uh, ministries and it was incredible. So the Galatians faced temptations on both sides. Abandon all morality or add all these other rules. And Paul is speaking, hey guys, I got to talk to you guys. And so in the midst of that context, in the midst of those two issues, he introduces the concept of limitations within the context of freedom. He starts using freedom language here in chapter, in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom, liberating. I can do things. I, I, I have free reign. Awesome. But then he goes on and says, only do not. Uh, you are free. Only do not do X, Y, Z. Only do not so, pause. Your freedom, yes, but pause, hold on. There is a limitation. So he introduces this concept. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are free within limits. Can you say that to your neighbor? Free within limits. I'm free within limits. And it's a good thing. Let me just introduce that idea in context. It is a good thing that there are limitations. There is a good thing that your neighbors are not giving you bloody noses all the time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That there is limitations to our freedoms. And the first limitation I want to introduce to you and consider today is that we are free to pick our actions, but not the consequences. We are free to pick our actions, but not the consequences. See, you hop onto a train, beautiful train. If the train was going somewhere, it's on the tracks. You hop onto a train, and you are going to go for a ride. Are you not? You're going to go for a ride. See, it doesn't matter if maybe you just wanted to say hello to somebody that was on the train car. I need to just step in real quick and say hi to somebody. I saw someone I knew. Hey, where are you going? What's going on? Uh, or it doesn't matter if you just wanted to go in there because it's a beautiful train, and you're infatuated like Sheldon. You want to take a selfie within the train. 
It doesn't matter that if you, you just wanted to go in there, to, to go back into the train and grab something that you forgot, something that you left behind. So you jump back into the train car and you go to grab it. See, when the all aboard call is given by the conductor and those train car doors close, whether you want to or not, you're prepared for or not, you are going for a ride. You can pick to hop on the train, but you can't decide if the train is going to take off. You can pick the action, but you can't pick the consequence. Can somebody say amen? See, Paul warned later in Galatians chapter 6, he says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Amen? With each choice comes what? A consequence. Choices have consequences. No amount of rationalizing, no amount of complaining, no amount of arguing will change the fact that there is a consequence. There is a consequence. See, God gives us the freedom to choose our actions, but he reserves the right to determine the consequences. God gives us the freedom to choose how we will act, how we will live, what we will choose, where we will go, but he reserves the right to choose the consequences. He reserves the right to choose the outcome. For he said this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring shall live. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Every choice is followed by a consequence. Bad choices equal what? Bad consequences. Good choices equal good consequences. And you know what? Let me just say a caveat. We live in a broken, fallen world, and so even sometimes we make the good choices, and still bad consequences come because we live in a world that is subject to the curse. We live in a world that has, you know, enmity and strife tension and pain it has brokenness within it and so sometimes even though we choose the right thing have you ever heard this the expression no good deed goes unpunished sometimes even doing the right thing may have a consequence because there is enmity and and jesus says hey don't worry the world will persecute you there will be trouble in the world but be of good cheer i have overcome the world and i'm glad that he didn't choose just to do what was good and what was right and only if there was going to be a good consequence thank the lord that he did what was right going to that cross and he was handed over to be killed and to be bruised and to be broken for us but yet he accomplished his purpose and his plan and it was good for us because it became a good consequence for you and i coming into faith and being reconciled to god there are good choices with good consequences. There are good choices with bad consequences. But let me tell you this. I've rarely found that there is a bad choice with a good consequence. It might be good for a while. It might be good for a season. It might be good for a moment. But then, rarely does it stay that way. There's this human desire to be miraculously delivered from the consequences of our actions, isn't there? You know, stop and just contemplate this. We tend to seek rescue from consequences with little or no effort from our part. Think about the person. Consider the one who's incurred a large amount of debt. And that person has sought to be released and delivered from the obligation of repayment through loan forgiveness or bankruptcy. 
I'm just going to do, I, I remember one time, I did not understand this. When I first started getting credit cards, I, I heard of a, 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 f- a friend, a person that, that our family knew. And this person was also from, from my home country of Brazil and, you know, had lived here for many years. And, and I didn't quite understand. I had just gotten credit cards and, and I was starting to use that. And I realized, hey, you, you, can, you can buy something on a credit card and you're going to pay back later. And then I heard that this person had just abandoned everything he had here and just went back home to Brazil. And I, I was hearing my parents talk about this, like how this person had all this debt that they had, and they just fled the country. I'm like, wow. That's not everybody. Not, not everybody from a different country does something like that, by the way, okay? But that was a bad choice that this person chose to make, and that's going to follow that person. If they ever try to come back here, they, 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 they name their credit, their, their finances is in shambles, and, and their reputation, their character, their integrity is in shambles. It, it, it's not a good choice. But we tend to want to escape the obligation of the consequence. Or what about the person who seeks deliverance from a disease by choice, a disease that they are experiencing and witnessing and living through because of a choice that they made and so they choose they desire to take a pill to treat the symptoms as opposed to changing the behavior that causes the symptoms in the first place ever experienced that before you don't have to say yes or raise your hand just contemplate in your heart there's this tendency within us we would you know want to avoid the consequence and still continue to make the choice but yet paul is telling us here that hey guys you are You have been purchased for freedom. You guys are to experience freedom, but there's a limitation. We are free to choose our choice, not the consequence. We should seek to change our actions because we cannot choose the consequences. We must accept this incredibly foul word that a lot of us don't like, and that word is responsibility. We accept responsibility for our choices and our actions and that which we are choosing. Some of us can't, you know, we might have to take inventory today and the altar call for some of us might be, Lord, help me to just understand what I have been choosing and I'm not liking the consequences. I'm not liking the outcome. And God, there's a disconnect here. I just need to be brought to, you know, both ends to understand both things. And Lord, help me to, to deal with this so that I can look at my choices, my behavior, and I can experience a different consequence. We have to learn to accept and expect the consequence because if we choose to live like Frankie said, I did it my way, or as Bon Jovi says, my life is an open highway. If we choose to live in this way, then we have to understand that there is a consequence to that that's contrary to what this word teaches us, the consequence of which is death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of which is death. We have to choose conduct in keeping with God's word, with God's spirit, with God's will. And the consequences that we will experience shall be life. Consider the options that he puts before them here. Human desires, you know, the satisfaction um, of what we encounter, the wages that are warring within us, you know, between God's desires and the flesh's desires, you know, salvation and, and condemnation and all these different things. The good news is that there is a power of choice that's right there laid on our lap. We have the ability to choose. And look at the choices Paul puts before them in verses 19 through 21. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists a whole slew of things. 
It's not an exhaustive list. It is just like a sampling, uh, an example of all the things that the flesh will produce, the works of the flesh that will be evident in us, what the flesh works hard for. It's like its life's aim, its ambition, its career, when it has all of its work and all of its effort and it spends all of its years consuming and doing and, and orchestrating all these different things, it will produce these things right here, these consequences. And it's not a pretty list. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then look at the other option that we have available to us, as Paul puts it in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We're free to choose our activities. And, and, and some of us have been very, you know, boastful about that, saying that I've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm free from the law, I'm free from this and that, and I have this ability to go with Jesus and he gives me such free reign, like a free-range chicken. <laughs> I can go where I please. I'm not calling y'all chickens, all right? I'm included in this. Lord, I feel like I got it all and I can do anything and, and, and you've given me such incredible freedom and you've allowed me such incredible you know, range and all this other stuff, but yet I am limited to choosing the action and God is limited. He, he reserves the right to choose the consequence. And if, I, if I'm not aware of that, I may be choosing things that are not going to end up well for me. It's not going to end up well for us. The world will just scream, do it, YOLO. You only live once. I want to live while I'm alive, right? Choose whatever you want. Be whatever you want to be, and you're all good, and it's going to be great. There are consequences that are good. There are consequences that are bad. Second thing I see, if we look at a train example, that we're free to pick our our actions, but not our consequences. Secondly, we're free to pick our master but not his demands. Think about a train. Passenger and freight trains have conductors. Anybody here ever ride a train before? Passenger trains and freight trains have conductors, and the conductor is a particular crew member responsible for the operational and safety duties aboard that train. The conductor is going to be the person that is dealing with the passengers, that is keeping the schedule, that is opening and closing the power doors, that is coupling and uncoupling the train cars together, that is you know, taking care of the cargo and the inventory and managing the staff and, and making sure that everything is working within the train. And so when you step onto a train, you come under the authority of the conductor. When you step onto a train, you come under the demands of the conductor. You know, you start having a loud animated conversation on your phone inside of the train. You start arguing with another passenger on the train. You decide that you're going to do an incredible breakdance routine on the safety poles where people hold on to. You ever see those on the subway? See those videos? These guys, it's a crowded subway train. All of a sudden, you got a guy like flipping around, doing all sorts of crazy stuff over there, almost like kicking a baby out the window. If you do any of these things on a train, pretty soon the conductor will show up and and exert his demands upon you. See, the conductor is the person that tells you, hey, you can't have your egg salad sandwich or your curry here on the train. Because that might be a personal liberty of yours. You're taking license and you're abusing the nostrils of your passenger friend next to you. You might feel like when you go home, you like to sit back and relax on your, on your couch and just, you know, lounge out. Well, here you're, you're confined to just one seat. Please close your legs. 
Don't take up seven seats as you lay down because you need to rest. See, the conductor will exert his demands upon you as you step onto the train. He'll share his demands, and whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, when you step onto the train, it's the conductor's demands that goes. Amen? So Paul tells the people here, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. See, the flesh or the spirit, which one is going to rule out? Which demand is going to win? Which one is going to have its way and speak the loudest? Which will be the master of the person? Which one within me will master me? It's not both. It's a one or the other proposal. When it comes to our life and our following after Jesus and our living in this world, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. Paul himself, as he's speaking to the Romans, a different congregation with similar issues, he speaks to them in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 19. Listen to what the message paraphrase of the Bible says. I know the message is not a translation of the Bible, it's a paraphrase, but I love the words and how it captures this idea. Listen, so since you were out from under the old tyranny, does that mean that we can live in any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master. One whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this language of freedom because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you? How at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom? Your lives are healed and expansive in holiness. Isn't that beautiful? What an image. You entertain sin, and that shall be your last free act. Each master has his own demands, don't they? Stop and think about this. What's the demands of God the Father versus the demands of our flesh? Think about the demands. Some demands are oppressive and harsh. Some demands are generous and reasonable. But those who serve a master have no say on the demands. The master calls the shots. Think about this. If we pick an addictive master, what happens? That master will demand more and more of our money, more and more of our energy, more and more of our life. We pick a master that is immoral in nature. An immoral master, that master is going to demand the forfeiture of our conscience, that we will lay aside our character and that we will you know, turn away from the life-giving wellspring of what makes our soul good. It tells us to just compromise, compromise, compromise. 
If we pick a materialistic master, that master will demand that we surrender whatever it takes to attain more and more possessions, more and more riches, more and more homes, accolades, and whatever it may be. Be that our health, sacrifice it. Be that our integrity, say goodbye to it. Be that our personal relationships. There was a song, uh, Casting Crowns. I take a shack on the sand, then a castle in the clouds because this man more and more as he pursued success and pursued materialistic things and and accolades and all this stuff, the more and more his life became uh, devoid of true joy and value relationships. It starts off all good. By the end of it, when he has everything he received and he wanted, he has no family, no relationship with his kids, no character, no integrity. See, we pick a master that's materialistic in nature, and he will ask us to compromise and surrender. Yet if we pick a master that is a living God, a loving God, if we pick him as our master, what kind of demands can you expect from him? See, it tells us here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commands are not burdensome. Thank you, Lord. Your commands are not burdensome, but it's to give me life, freedom. I wish that you would have life and have it to the full, that you would have it and have it to the abundance. His command, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. My words are true. His words are words of truth. And so if we start to, to contemplate, what is the master Jesus, the master of the Holy Spirit, Father God, what, is, what are they asking of us? They're asking, they're demanding that we would love them and that we would receive love in return. Love towards him and love towards our fellow man. That is what he's asking. As Paul says, it's summed up in this, the law and the commandments. We must recognize that the authority of the master in whom we pick to choose because they have authority whether we want to accept it or not. We see this in the lives of those who are bound by substance abuse, don't we? What a master that becomes. Those who are bound by gambling, those who are bound by the master of lust and the choices that they make and the havoc it wreaks upon their families. You know, I was reading and I heard this about this Navy officer. Shortly after joining the Navy, the new recruit asked his officer for a pass so he could go to a wedding. Can I go? I gotta, I gotta go to this wedding. And the officer gave him the pass. He says, hey, yeah, you can have the pass, but let me just tell you, you gotta be back by 7 p.m. on Sunday. To which the young man said to him, sir, but you don't understand, I'm in the wedding. I'm part of the wedding. And then the, without missing a beat, the officer said to him, yeah, but you don't understand, you're in the Navy. So be back at 7 p.m. on Sunday. See, we have to understand the demands of the master. And some of us are saying, hey, you know what, I, I, I can a- accumulate this in my life. I can participate in this. I, I have grown in my faith enough to be able to, to, to do this activity or, or to listen to this music or to participate in this media or, you know, to, to have these types of relationships or, or to engage in this type of content. And I'm good enough and I'm good. I, I'm past that. I'm not, I'm not a new believer. I, I'm solid in my faith. But let me just tell you this, uh, that as we submit ourselves to these masters and they become part of our lives and we appropriate these things within our hearts that they have demands and the demands will quickly start unfolding and it may become a demand that is contrary to what the demand that the word would have over you and what the holy spirit would desire for you 
So we have to be honest and say, Lord, maybe I need to look at what is the master of my life? What is dominating my time, my energy, my attention? What is it that my treasure is built into? What is it that I'm putting there in terms of my expectations for relationships, for, for interactions with people, for faith, for all of these different facets of lives, of our lives? We're free to pick our master, free to decide what will rule our lives, but we can't dictate the demands of that master. The demands are out of our control. Thirdly, if we look at a train, we are free to pick our leader, but we're not free to pick the destination. See, as I'm researching trains and finding out more things about it, I was uh, actually confused for a second because in my mind, the conductor was, was it. The conductor was the man, was the woman, was the person in charge. But what I realized that on a train, if you're on a passenger train or a cargo train, that there is a person called an engineer. And the engineer is actually the leader of the train. The engineer doesn't leave the control room. The engineer is the one who reads the gauges. The engineer is the one who knows the route and he perceives all of it, the end from the beginning. The engineer is the one that drives the train, sets the pace and determines the outcome and the destination. The engineer is the one that is in charge. The engineer is responsible from getting the train from where it started to where it's going. The engineer is the person that is the leader and has the job to do. And that leader is going to take you to a place. Paul is saying to the people here in Galatia, let the Holy Spirit become the engineer of your life. Let the Holy Spirit become the leader of your life. Let the Holy Spirit drive the train. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in your ways because he is the one who's going to lead you into all truth. So allow him the right of way. Allow him the authority. Allow him to be the one setting and charting the course for you. Walk in the Spirit. Be led by Him. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If we are led by legalism, led by, you know, even uh, um, libertinism, which was the opposite of just doing whatever it is that you want, right? If we are led by these things with no regard to God's grace and God's word, then we're not living in true freedom, but we're actually in bondage because it's taking us to a different place. And what Paul says at the end of all of those words that are nasty and negative, all of the works of the flesh, he says that you, if you're led by the, by the flesh, you're gonna, this is where you're going, you want to know where you're going into sexual immorality. You're going into impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. You're going to these places, drunkenness, orgies. You're going to things like this. And here you go, your final destination. You will be in a place where you do not inherit the kingdom of God. And we know if we do not inherit the kingdom of God, where shall we be? Because there's only two outcomes if we read this book and we take it at its word, that there is the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of God in heaven. The place where Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. If we do not choose to inherit the kingdom of God and align ourselves to that, we're going to a place where there's the gnashing of teeth, where the canker worm does not die where there is mourning and torment, where there is the rejection and total abandonment from God, that there is isolation and separation from him. That is not a pre and beautiful place. That is where the uninheritors of the kingdom go. That is the destination that is set if the flesh becomes the leader of our lives. 
So some of us were like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach the heaven and you know, I'm, I'm going to experience all that God has for me and there's blessings and benefits. I read this and you know, I can quote scriptures and I can do all this stuff. Yet we have a leader that is leading us astray and leading us to the wrong place and we're not aware of the fact that we've relinquished that freedom. We feel like we can make the choice for the leader and lead our own lives, but yet we do not pick the destination. You become the leader of your soul the captain of your destiny, and you are the, you're, you're not going to get to a place where you want to be. But yet if we say, Lord Jesus, I need you to lead my life. I need you to be the captain, the, the author, perfecter of my faith. I need you to be the one that is leading me. Holy Spirit, I need to walk in your truth. He is leading us to a place from glory to glory. He's leading to a place of sanctification. He's leading us to a place where we will not be mastered by our flesh, but we will be in self control, experiencing the fruits of the Holy Spirit as he bubbles that up and brings that growth into our lives. It is something that is major, beautiful, and it's incredibly a blessing and and a benefit to us. And I don't want to live any other way. I can't live any other way. Ultimately, the flesh is going to take us away from the kingdom of God to a place of rejection and punishment. But yet, if we choose to live by the Spirit, God takes us to a place that we want to be. And I just want to give you practically, we need to know God's word because it needs to become the litmus test of our lives. It needs to be the thing that we cross-measure and cross-reference and, and validate everything else within our lives, what we're choosing. As we contemplate our choices, as we contemplate the master, what is dominating our thoughts, what's dominating you know, our desires and our pursuits, what is leading us and where we're going. Like This word needs to be the litmus test. It needs to be the standard that we measure everything else by. We need to hold this up, every choice, every decision, every master, every leader to this word and say, does it measure up? Does it reflect the gospel? Does it reflect what is true? Because it tells us here, John says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And if you look around, there's a lot of false voices out there today. And, and there might be things that I might be ignorant on. And if I say something that does not line up with this word, you don't listen to me. You listen to this word. You go back to this book. It doesn't matter how long I've been in ministry. It doesn't matter how many degrees I have. It doesn't matter if I had a fresh revelation from the Lord. If it does not line up with this book, you have to go back here and say, no. The Bereans were admonished. They, they, they were actually exalted, I mean, because of the fact that they would search the scriptures to see that it was right and true. What they were preaching was good. We need to know this word. We must be willing to go where this leads. Like Abraham, who left his father's house, who left his nation, his country, his heritage, his culture, to go to a place that God was going to show him. He didn't even have an ultimate destination yet. He was willing to go. As Paul was going out preaching the gospel, he wanted to go into Europe. He wanted to go there, and the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go this way. He wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit gives him a vision of a man from Macedonia, and he sends him that way. How many of these churches, Galatia, Ephesus, and all these other places were birthed, and people came to faith? Why? Because the Holy Spirit was leading, and Paul said, yes. God's going to lead you places. He wants to take you places. He has things reserved for you that are good, and he's prepared ahead of time, and he wants you to just be willing to say, Holy Spirit, yes. 
as Jesus came and he saw John and he saw, you know, um, uh, Peter and, and, and all, Andrew and all the different apostles, he, he called them and he said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come and follow. Come, taste and see. Come. And these guys willingly, swiftly, they said yes. Guys, we have to be willing to just say yes to the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that surrender is saying yes before we know the answer, before we know the question. We have to be able to surrender to God and follow after him and just pursue him as he calls us to. We have to be willing to go quickly like the fishermen went in Matthew chapter four. We have to follow him exclusively. Joshua said, as for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord, period. We're gonna follow after, we're gonna let him lead our lives. We're gonna let him lead our our conversations, lead our devotions, lead our attention, lead our our pursuits. He's gonna lead us because it is him and him alone. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, which you served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and for my household, I shall serve the Lord. God, I don't know what's going on within my family and all of its dynamics and who you're ministering to and what you're doing, how you're shaping, what's going on. But God, I have resolved that there will be nothing else in this house that we will serve. There will be no other leaders set above us. We are following after you exclusively. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the leader of this home. You are the author of this home. We're going to trust and lean on your word. You are a solid rock. You are our foundation. You're the one that we choose, and there will be no other. We have to be exclusive we have to be swift. We have to be knowledgeable in this book. We have to pursue. As Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and you must follow me. There is a leader who wants to lead you to a destination. And just stop and think about this. You've, you've probably heard about what happened in 1978, November 18th. Nearly 1,000 men and women Died. Maybe you don't know all the details, but if I say this name, Jonestown, Guyana, there was something that happened in that place. There was a thousand men and women and children who died on November 18, 1978. And what was the cause of their death? The cause was that they were ordered to drink poison by a charismatic, delusional leader who was leading them to a specific location and destination. And that was the man by the name of Jim Jones. Jim Jones, deluded, led a thousand people to their death. You can pick your leader, but you can't pick the destination. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you allow the reins to lead your life. Is this book reigning and ruling over you? Or is it the media? Is it your boss? Is it your neighbor? Is it the culture? Is it the, 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 the ideology of this age? What is leading you? Let me tell you, whether you like it or not, there is a final destination that that leader will take you. Do you want to know and be happy and satisfied where that destination is? Open your eyes. If this is the leader of your life, if the Holy Spirit is leading you, I guarantee you, you will not find any regrets. You will not find any remorse. You will not find any guilt at the end of that journey. You will only be blessed by it. You will only rejoice and give thanks and gratitude because God is good and he has good things reserved for you. Amen?
Amen. I've taken too long on that. The team can come on back. But here's what I want you to just contemplate here for a second. To be truly free, we can make the choices and we have to make them in light, in view of the consequences. We got to keep that in mind. We can choose the master, but also be prepared to follow after the demands of that master. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, it might sound difficult and demanding, but it is incredibly liberating when we know that he has told us to do so and he supplies us the power to do so. That he is there, present, and with us. I shall never leave you nor forsake you, but I am with you to the very ends of the age. That if he's called us to a thing, he is able to lead us and help us to fulfill it. He begins something in us. He is able to bring it to its completion. So I want you to just know that you can choose the master. Be prepared to follow after his demands. If you don't like the demands, then question who the master is. And we have to follow the leader who is headed to the right destination. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples and you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Surrender, church. Today, our altar of time, our response, I want us to really contemplate the choices of our lives, the consequences that we're grappling with. And some of us are doing the same choices, frustrated that the consequences, the results are not what we desire. Some of us are living in complete oblivion to what the demands are being imposed upon us. And maybe we just have to stop and take a look and say, Lord, I've allowed certain things to master me that you never intended to be my master. I want us to do some reflection and contemplate where is it that we're heading? Who is leading? Where am I going? And if there's some doubt about where that final destination is going to be, where are you going to stand when you finally get to have an accounting of it all? Then we need some repentance and say, God, put me on the right train tracks. Train tracks are limiting. They can only go to a certain, th- but I, it's incredibly freeing to know that there is a way that is set, that is right, that is true, that goes to a good place. That if we just put our faith in it and just follow after it, we don't have to kind of create everything else and, and figure every other little facet in detail, but there's some truth already laid out. And if you just follow after that, there's security, there's an assurance. What I don't want is us to live like this church. I was reading and I came across this testimony of a man by the name of David Huss, Davin Huss. This man lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. He considered himself a Christian. He attended church ever since the small, you know, he was a small boy, early age. He said, we would hear the stories of what was happening to the Jews in my country. But like most people, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. After all, what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran right behind our small church. And each Sunday morning, we would hear the whistle from the distance. And when that clacking of the wheels was moving over the track, we would hear it in our church. 
We became disturbed one Sunday when we noticed cries coming out from within the train. As it passed us by, we grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. And they were just like cattle inside of those cars. Week after week, the train whistle would blow and we would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew the Jews would begin to cry just as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at the time the whistle would blow. And we would decide to sing louder at that moment. By the time the, the train came rumbling past the church, we would shout our songs at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we would just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. And years passed with no one talking much about that anymore. But I still hear that whistle when I sleep. I still hear that whistle when I lay in my bed. Jesus, have mercy. I can hear them crying out for help. God, forgive all of us who call ourselves Christians, yet we do nothing to intervene. God, forgive us who call ourselves Christians, who have relinquished the consequences, the demands, and the destiny, the destination into the hands of something that's leading us astray. We've become so desensitized from these things and we're not allowing your Holy Spirit, your word, your conviction to move upon us and shake things off of us that should never be a part of us. God, I ask you for forgiveness if I've been this leader that just turns up the volume when your Holy Spirit comes crying. trying to grab my attention to change something to remove something that shouldn't be there to choose a better path a better way those Jews had no choice in hopping onto that train but what a picture of the enemy who was engineering and driving that train car to a destination that was cruel final corrupt and crude hurtful Father I ask you that you would awaken us that we would not relinquish the leadership of our lives and our soul our families and our marriages our children Lord God our careers that we would not relinquish it Lord Jesus to whatever it is that comes our way but God that we would follow after you as the author and the leader of our lives that we would follow and listen swiftly quickly knowledgeably and Lord God respond to the demands that you place upon our hearts
God, that we would choose not to be oblivious to our actions and how they impact us and those around us. But Lord Jesus, that we would realize the real living consequences of what we choose and that we would honor you. As the worship team plays, sings, ministers, I want you to make a step of faith. I want you to release, like step out of your seat, step out of your pew. I know that I was very general in this, but you could apply this in so many ways inside of your lives. And there are things that I don't need to say, but the Holy Spirit is right now pressing his finger on it and saying right here, this thing, this thought, this mindset, this attitude, this pursuit, this ideology, this right here, deal with it today. I want you to step out of your seat, come to this altar and allow him the room to move. You're going to get to work, uh, hang out with family and connect with friends and go about your duties. As I was talking to my brother, the, the, the issues of life and the cares of work and the issues of the week, they, they will arrest you when you leave this place. Right now, spend some time with God and ask him, Lord, have mercy. I need you to reign, to rule, to orchestrate the details of my life and my faith. Because church, I believe that what God has for you on the other side, where he wants to lead you, what he wants to appropriate into your life and deposit into your soul is so much better than you could ever ask or imagine. It is something that is so good for you. It gives you authority and confidence, boldness and security. He wants that for you. So why not press in and take hold of that today. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I'm not going to tell you that everything's going to be good. I just want you to know that God and the Holy Spirit has more for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He has something good for you. So lay hold of it today. And if only what it is, is strength to endure the challenges, then take hold of that in and of itself because it is for you. So don't wait. Come now. Press in seek the Lord and if you have never as people come and make their way to have time with the Lord if you have never said Jesus I need you if you've been dominated by any which way any desire you give in to anything that the flesh says is good for you whatever culture has dictated you should do and there's confusion and they're lost there's, there's a lack of fulfillment and still you're not satisfied let me tell you there's a God shaped hole inside of each and every one of us and only Jesus Christ the way the truth and the life can fulfill and bring value and clarity and fulfillment and purpose into your soul only he can lead you to a restored relationship with God the Father so if you have never said, Lord, I need you to come and redeem me, justify me just as if I have never sinned before, I need you, then today you need to step out of your circumstance and situation and say, today that changes. I want you, Jesus, to come into my life. I need you to be the Lord and the leader of my life. If that's you today, then you need to come to this altar as well you're not doing this for me but you're doing this for the Lord you're doing this for yourself let me pray over you and we'll conclude our service but you are invited to respond Holy Spirit 
I thank you for the freedom that you afford us. It's a freedom within context and boundaries. There's guardrails for a reason, for our good, for your purpose to be fulfilled. Lord, I pray that you would minister your words of truth and life inside of every heart here today, every person within the ears of everyone hearing us online this morning or whatever time of day it happens to be that they click on. Father, I pray that you would move inside of the questions, the ambiguities, the, 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 the confusion, the doubts, the fears, the arguments. Lord God, I pray that you would move within the places of tension and Lord, the things that Lord, you have brought conviction to. I pray that you would fulfill God, your word inside of every life. That God, you bring clarity, you bring truth. You restore, Lord God, peace and wholeness. God, that you would, Lord Jesus, set them on the right path, the right way. That, Lord, at the end of the journey, Father, when they reach the final destination, God, that there will be no surprises, that there will be, Lord God, no remorse and no, Lord God, shame, that there will be, Lord Jesus, no aha moments and epiphanies, that, Lord, they did it all wrong, I pray, God, that in that moment, that there will be, Lord Jesus, a peace that surpasses understanding because, Lord, they have been found in you. Jesus, your blood has redeemed, has washed them clean. Your spirit has led them through. In your precious name. May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of them today. With all of us, I pray. Amen and amen. If you need prayer for any other thing, if you want us to join you in faith, just touching heaven and agreeing about a certain thing, we will come alongside you and pray. May God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful, incredible, Holy Spirit-empowered week. In Jesus' name.